Hello again, friends, and welcome back to another edition of the Mid-South Wrestling Television Review Podcast. I am the great Brian Lass, and it's my pleasure to be with you once again, watching Mid-South Wrestling Television from July 10th, 1982. And without any further ado, before we go any further with this show, let me introduce from Booking the Territory, Mike Mills. Mike, do you think we'll have more action on this show this week or on the Mid-South show that we're reviewing? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, there's not a lot of action in this week's episode, but there is something that is just fantastic. Well, you know, that's in the uh, eye of the beholder. We'll get into that in a in a few moments here. You could try to justify your beliefs that it's fantastic. Uh, let's kick it right off. Once again, uh, we want to remind you that this was taped on July 7th. So this is from the July 7th, 1982 television taping in Shreveport, Louisiana, and it originally aired on July 10th, 1982. No Bill Watts this week, but we get the Assassin joining Boyd Pierce in a red outfit. Looks right out of the 1970s. One of the most retro outfits he's had in a while. And let's hear their introduction, and we'll talk about it on the other side. I'm your host, Boyd Pierce. We have a lot of exciting action coming your way. Precious Paul Ellering returns for his first appearance after his second injury suffered on January the 5th. Also, you'll see the North American Heavyweight Champion Ted DiBiase, Mid-South Tag Team title holders, the Junkyard Dog and Mr. Olympia. Jim Hacksaw Dugan, who came here a few weeks ago as a bounty hunter. He'll be in action this week. Also, Killer Khan, the new, however, controversial Louisiana heavyweight champion. Also, the one-man gang and tag team action sees the joining the forces of Colonel Buck Robley and the big cat Ernie Ladd. Our guest commentator of the week, a man who needs no introduction to wrestling fans everywhere, the one and only, the Mask Assassin. Well, Boyd, thank you very much. I appreciate the fact that you and Mid-South have invited me here today. Uh, this is a little bit different capacity than what I'm used to, but I'd like to take this opportunity to just sit back and watch some of the greatest wrestlers in the world today and the matches that they have on tap for the fans today, I'm sure, are going to be very exciting. And we look forward to your expert commentary as the matches get underway. But you know, for the past few weeks, we've had the spotlight on precious Paul Ellering as he's been working and showing the youngsters and the, and your children about youth development in a very important phase he'll be back in live action with us this week returning after his second injury since january the 5th it just shows you a man being out that many months that how serious sometimes it happens to professional athletes in the world's most exciting professional sport of wrestling right now we're going to watch a chin-ups exercise from precious paul ellering on the spotlight and then we'll see him in live action in the ring directly following well, Mike, we've seen several Paul Ellering segments in the last several weeks. We originally saw a bunch at the beginning of the year with him and the Iron Sheik. Of course, he was injured on January 5th, as they keep saying here. And then he disappeared, and then he came back with these multiple workout segments that were always somewhat awkward and somewhat weird. And at times, you may say, how did this get on the air? Why did this get on the air? Should we talk about the Ellering segment a little bit now, or should we wait until after we play this? I mean, what should we play? What should we say before we play this clip? I I was a little speechless, and I've seen this 500 times. Um, I tell you what, let's play it and try to hold in our laughter or reactions while it plays, and then we'll discuss it on the other side. How does that sound? That sounds I mean, I, I'm, I'm thinking that may be the best approach here. I think so, too. Let's go to this clip right now. Once again, the spotlight is on Precious Paul Ellering. And as we've told you before, Precious Paul likes to work with kids because he likes to see kids 
stress to uh, build a body such as he has. That's right, Reeser. You know, precious Paul believes in a lot of things. I believe in the children of the earth, for they will inherit it someday. I believe in T-bone steaks and barbell plates. I believe, because it's the 4th of July, in the land of the free and the home of the footlong hot dog. And I believe in a mama that can get down and torture her man's soul. Now we're going to do some chin-ups, and Precious Paul wants to stress safety. So Precious Paul is going to wear his hard hat and safety glasses. And I want all you kids out there to be careful when you're doing these workouts. Okay, chin-up times, boys. And as you can see, this young man is climbing the ladder. He's going up to the chinning bar. That's it. Good. Good. One. Real good. That's it. Go. Good. Okay. Good. Well, he was going to do it again. Okay, grab two hands. No. Nope. Well, you have to start that good. over. No, that's good. boys work out real hard and i want all you kids at home to work out real hard too and precious paul's going to do some chin-ups now with this good looking young man hanging around his waist just to show you what it is when you really work out now, if you think that's not tough try it sometime even with a little fella like that that small amount of added weight really makes it tough Precious Paul to do his chin-ups. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And if you think that's not tough, just put a little added weight onto your own body and try that. All right, let's have a big hand for all these boys. All right, and everybody go home and start working out. It's pressure. We're going to do exercise by pressure. All right, obviously, uh, let's say one thing first to get going here. We use the original audio. The WWE Network has audio with some generic music on top of Pac-Man Fever, which obviously was a beloved song, either by Paul Ellering or someone in Mid-South Wrestling. And you actually don't get to hear any of the, even though it's not that much, any of the back and forth with Reeser and Ellering or any of the things that Ellering says. So we play the original audio here for historical purposes. And now to describe the action, Mike Mills. So let's just start from the beginning. <laughs> Paul Ellering is doing chin-ups with kids. And I'm going to be very sarcastic here, but very truthful at the same time. He starts off as he's got his rap going with Reeser Bowden there. I believe in the children of the earth, for they will inherit it one day. I believe because it's the 4th of July in the land of the free, in the land of the footlong hot dog. You did everything but say, can you dig it, Reeser? He's taking all the greatest hits. All the greatest hits are out. All of them. I believe in a mama that can get down and torture her man's soul. What the hell? (laughs) Meanwhile, we're going to stop right there. He says that line to Reeser Bowden, who is so... It, this isn't one of the occasions where he's playing along at Ellering. This is one of the occasions where Ellering says stuff and Reeser looks at the camera like, this guy, how about this guy again? And he's saying it to Reeser and three small kids who look traumatized. <laughs> and I guess, and whatever, whoever the cowboy was sitting in the open door of the side of the Irish McNeil Boys Club there. 
Yeah, there's that's a, I was going to get to that when they got to the pull, pull ups. But there are two gentlemen with there's an open door and they are sitting on, I guess, you know, upside down paint buckets, five gallon buckets. I don't know. I really couldn't tell you. I, I didn't commit that to memory, but they're just chilling, kind of watching this obscene scene. And you're right. You got these three kids. You got uh, the one on the left is a is a is a little white Caucasian child. You got two African-American children to the right and the one on the, the left. He looks bored, but he doesn't look like, why the hell am I here? The one on the right, he looks bored too, but he doesn't look like, why the hell am I here? The kid in the middle looks like, what in the F do my parents have me doing the F here with this effing nonsense? That's how the kid looks. I mean, he's his eyes look like they're shot into the top of his head. He looks like he's rolling them. Like, what is this damn guy doing? So that's before any of the pull-ups start happening. Uh, would you like me to keep going, Brian? I'm trying to think if there's any other notes before the pull-ups. I guess that's it. Reese has been used by Ellering, and these three children are about to do pull-ups to Pac-Man Fever with Paul Ellering. And let's point out, too, they are doing pull-ups with a – God, it's 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 slipping my mind. The um, uh, I call it a V-bar, but it's it's, it's – uh, well, They call it a pull-up bar uh, in the segment. Right, but it's a um, – it's it's not the actual long bar. It's it's a God, there's a there's a term and I can't figure it out in my head right now. Anyway, it, it looks like a V essentially, and it's got handles on on one side and the other side. So they're putting that over a freaking pipe that's running on the top of the ceiling. Now, here's what I don't know because I've never been in construction and don't know anything about pipe work or anything. I want to know what's running through that damn pipe because that pipe was flexing pretty damn good while they're doing these pull ups. That's the first thing. Yeah, and so, all, I, all I'm thinking is how's that pipe gonna hold Ellering's weight? Like, this seems like a bad idea. This seems like it could go wrong. I mean, obviously, it didn't, uh, at least in that way. But it really could go wrong. <laughs> it's flexing when when they're do- when the first kid does the pull-ups. You can see the pipe moving up and down. And then the second kid does it, and you can see the pipe moving up and down. And again, they've got this thing over the pipe, and they're doing the pull-ups. And then comes the freaking main event of this event. Paul Ellering starts saying he's going to do pull-ups with a little extra weight. And Reese Bowden is just... He's amused. He's like, yeah, adding a little extra weight, you know, that makes it really difficult. As if just a man pulling up his own body weight doesn't make pull-ups hard enough. We get the smallest kid that's in this trio. He latches on around Paul Ellering's waist. And at first, his head is above Ellering's ass. But as the pull-ups start to ensue, this poor kid, his face is smashed into Paul Ellering's buttocks. And Ellering does, what, three to four? (laughs) It's so hard to articulate this. If you've got the network, you have to see this because this is insane how Ellering does these pull-ups with this poor kid's face smashed in his butt. Brian, your turn. There's not not much more I could say on top of that. Um, One of the kids almost lost the pull-up bar. Yes. They went up there because this was so shoddily planned. And then Ellering, you know, I think almost like this was the point where Ellering completely jumped the shark. <laughs> and the kid, he's, he's got his arms clutched around Ellering's waist, but as his face is getting smushed into Ellering's ass as he goes down, his hands are also getting more and more closer to Ellering's dick. It's just, it's such an awkward, bad idea. Reeser's there, and even Reeser's like, what is this? I, I don't know where to start. It's just... I- <laughs> Here's the thing. If you want to see video of this, I posted a short clip of it on my Twitter at Mike504Saints. 
it's I, I mean, I said this a while back, Brian, if you remember, I said when he first started doing these workout videos, I was like, it's only going to get worse, you know, because he, I forget the very first one we saw. I think it was the one where Ellering, like they took the old Finn Balor finisher and uh, Jesse Barr and Buddy Landell jumped on Ellering's stomach I, I, and they did the weighted sit ups and stuff. I think that was one. I think that was the first one. Someone can correct me, but I believe that's the first one. I said, man, it only gets worse from here. And I was thinking in my mind, we're going to get to the one where he does the push ups with the. um plus size ladies on his back because that was kind of had a little comedy thing to it. But then this right here, it jumps to shark. There's no other way to put it. I mean, Ellering, this poor kid's got his face smashed in Ellering's ass. It just doesn't get any worse than this. It's pretty bad, man. Pretty bad. Well, in terms of awkwardness, this is certainly the worst of his workouts, but maybe his worst workout is to come. And that's the next match. Billy, the star child star versus Paul Ellering with Alfred Neely as the referee. This is not good, and the crowd is quiet. There's a botched clothesline spot that is really weird. Uh, by the way, no Hank in the front row at this point in the show, which we'll talk a little bit more about later on, but I don't have too many other notes. This match went on for a while, or at least it seemed like it did, and no Bill Watts. There were points during this entire show where the, there's no commentary, where there's just silence and you hear the guys wrestling, so when there's a quiet crowd, it really stands out. But after all those weeks of building up Ellering, he got a nice pop at the beginning, and then people just sat there and watched him. What are your thoughts, Mike? I have the exact same thing. The crowd was quiet throughout. There's tons of moments throughout this where Boyd and the assassin, they're just not saying anything. Like, they're not talking. They just stop talking. It would be like you and I cutting this podcast, and we would be saying, watching this match, and... And we're trying to tell everybody what's going on. And all of a sudden, just for 10, 15 seconds at a time, we just stopped talking. And everybody's was like, hey, I mean, we can see the action, but what's going on? It's just there was no talking. There's nothing. I mean, Ellering does win with a neck breaker. But this crowd, they were silent. They were quiet after the nice little re you know, reaction that Ellering got in the beginning. But you really see it. And we're, you're right. We're going to say it throughout. Uh, Bill Watts has missed on commentary during this entire episode because – Multiple moments throughout this episode where Boyd and the assassin just, there's just silent. There's no other way to put it. And the crowd was silent. It made me wonder how the rest of the show would go. And we find out in our next match, the North American champion Ted DiBiase in a non-title match against Jesse Barr with Rick Ferreira as the referee. And the crowd gets into this. I got to say, Jesse Barr is fantastic at selling a punch. Every time DiBiase punches him, watch the way he sells it. Really, really good stuff there. There's another awkward spot in this match. There was one in the previous match with the botched clothesline spot. And this one, I don't even know how to describe it, Mike. They run into each other, and then it seems like Jesse's going for a suplex, but Ted doesn't want to go for a suplex, but he doesn't really block it. So it just ends up in this, like, dual headlock spot for probably as long a period of time as they needed for Jesse to say, I don't know what spot you were doing, but here's what I was doing and fixing what they were just trying to do. Yeah, I've got the same note. It's hard to explain. Like uh, Jesse Barr gets shot off the ropes and they just like collide in the middle of the ring. And then, I don't know, they ended up in that dual headlock. We call it a dual headlock, but it's almost like, um, you know, you go to put somebody in a suplex. They just sat in that for like five to ten seconds before they figure out, okay, where we're going next. But I agree. The crowd was more into this. Jesse Barr did look good throughout. So I don't have anything else to add there. You were uh, your spot on that assessment. Well, the only other thing I guess I would add is we've kind of seen it slowly transpire over the last several weeks, but DiBiase's facial expressions, his mannerisms, the way he looks at the crowd, 
he's like instantly become a top-notch heel in all the small ways and all the little things he does besides the cheating and the interviews yelling at people and running in on other matches just the way he wrestles he has become such a great heel quickly mannerisms the way he looks at the crowd the way he just you know, it's kind of a smug look. There's a couple of times in this match where Rick Ferraro was like, you know, he'd he's counting to break the hold, you know, a five count with there in the corner or something. And DiBiase finally breaks it after, you know, the count of four. But as, as Rick Ferraro is trying to correct him, you know, DiBiase just kind of like shoves him to the side. Doesn't, I mean, he doesn't push him in a violent way. He just kind of like, yeah, yeah, whatever, dude, get out of my way. It's just little things like that. Absolutely. It's it's apparent that the turn has happened and he's got a, he's got a new attitude, which is a better at, which is a bad attitude. Let's hear a little bit of audio from this match. Mike, here is the assassin and Boyd Pierce on commentary talking about the new Ted DiBiase. Ooh, what a vicious form by Ted DiBiase. You see this, I think exemplifies what I have said for the last week or so, ever since the, uh, classic confrontation between Ted DiBiase and the Junkyard Dog in which Ted DiBiase emerged victorious and the North American champion. Ted DiBiase has changed a great deal. I think in the last few weeks that Mr. DiBiase has done a lot of soul searching and I do think that he's a better man for it and I think he's finally awakened to the realization that in professional wrestling if you want something for yourself you're going to have to go out and get it and get it for yourself. No one's going to hand it to you or give it to you and I think DiBiase right now has had a definite change of attitude as far as, as uh, his feeling towards his opponents in the ring. Well, we saw what happened here two weeks ago. Bob Root was our guest commentator when it happened as Ted DiBiase annexed the North American title for the Junkyard Dog. And, and as Bob Root pointed out, he wore that glove, the same glove that Ted DiBiase has on now, whether it's loaded up. But whether it was or not, it almost has. I've never seen a junkyard dog go down like a sack of cement, like a ton of bricks, just one-on-one. -on -one. So that's you can take it for what it's worth. And then the controversy swirling over the Killer Khan incident as he gained the Louisiana Heavyweight Championship as Khan and the junkyard dog in the finals in Baton Rouge. So Ted DiBiase is a marked man. Well, any time that you hold a title as prestigious as the North American title, you're going to be a marked man. And uh, what remains to be seen, if Ted DiBiase is man enough and has the physical capabilities to hold up under the pressure. Now, he's going to be under a lot of pressure. Now, Jesse Barr has given him a lot of pressure, and he's putting a lot of pressure on him. You know, Jesse Barr would have to go into this match as an underdog, but he's been more than holding his own in this match. And the fact that Jesse Barr has nothing to lose and everything to gain, I think, makes this young man fight even harder. And he's given Ted DiBiase right now just about all he can handle. And, Mike, as we mentioned before, you can kind of hear it there. The fans were getting into this. They were getting into Jesse Barr firing back up at DiBiase. And I think it's because DiBiase so quickly has connected to the fans there, let alone the fans at home, that this is a new Ted DiBiase. Yeah, it's a new version of him. I mean, he he's definitely on the path of the bad side, the dark side at this point. And the the fans, uh, the fans feel it. Jesse Barr too. You know, you said it a second ago before you played that audio. He's selling everything that DiBiase was doing, and he's really selling it well. So, I think as well as DiBiase is now with this different attitude and being a heel, I think also Jesse Barr kind of helped contribute to that with with his selling as a babyface. I mean, he made it at where they were like. Man, screw this guy. You know, he's he's turned on the dog and, you know, now he's in his 
in here beating this guy who, and this is nothing against Jesse Barr, but he's beating up this guy who, you know, is on the lower end of the card and screw him, you know, um, we don't like you anymore. This ain't right. And again, his mannerisms helped. His mannerisms, I mean, you can't you can't see it in the audio, but the way he looks at the crowd, he's just got that smug look and he's kind of pushing the referee here and there, you know, whatever, leave me alone. I, I'm, I'm going to break the hold. You don't need to tell me. Get out of my face, guy. That type of that type of stuff, all that stuff, those little bitty things, it's like a breadcrumb trail. It, it all matters, and it all helps out the situation. From there, we get a tag team match with the Mid-South Wrestling Tag Team Champions, the Junkyard Dog and Mr. Olympia versus the Grappler and Bill Ash with Alfred Neely as the referee. Uh, we have a little bit of audio. We're going to play a couple notes here, though, Mike. There is a really annoying kid who was here at the last taping in a yellow shirt and sunglasses and a hat and he keeps mugging for the camera and he keeps dancing for the, and he's really annoying and you can tell he's trying to entertain his friends that are with him but he's so annoying that i had to bring him up here i just say something did you notice this kid why are you giving him attention that's what he was looking for yes i didn't <laughs> he, he's he was he was there last week yes and and when dog's music hits in this match uh as as they're coming out he he's he's the main one up and about he's dancing he's walking like an egyptian he's got a steeler shirt on i believe he's got um sunglasses the trucker hat yeah he's he's just out there you know, he's doing what, what fans do today, man. They're trying to, he's out there trying to get over, man. He's out there making it about himself. That wasn't his intent, man. He's, he's, he is, I, I'm guessing, like you said, he's entertaining his friends, but he's very, he, <laughs> he didn't annoy me like he's annoying you, but he's definitely getting himself over with the crowd. And he's wearing the same outfit that he wore at the previous TV taping. Cause last week's show and this week's show were two different TV tapings. Well, I mean, well, it is a week apart. I'm, you know, I'm sure he went home and washed it and whatnot. Well, we'll find out about that. He's got a Steelers. You know what's funny about that Steelers shirt on? I'll tell you a little story. You know, I mean, the Steelers were like a big team in the seven. Not that they suck now or anything, but like in the seventies, you know, they won four Super Bowls. I remember as a kid in Louisiana, um, it, this whole it's a myth that like the Saints kind of like took over and were were always like drew big and whatnot. Man, I feel like the Saints didn't really like start drawing like real, real good. And people weren't really true what they call who until like when we made the playoffs in 87 and then beyond that is when people like really, really started to fall in love. But at this point in time, I remember there were kids in my school, like they were like Steelers fans. And, and maybe it was because like their parents like grew up watching the Steelers in the seventies. And I'm pointing all this out to say the, this kid has got a Steelers shirt on and he's not the only one I've seen in the mid South crowd that had that. And I'm thinking no. back, back in the day when I was a kid in school, I remember kids who were like, I, I don't like the saints. I like the Steelers. Like my whole life, I always liked the saints, but I just feel like uh, that was always the case. There were kids who liked Dallas and there were kids who liked the Steelers. Now in Shreveport, if you see fans with Dallas, like hats and shirts on, it makes sense. It's only, there are a lot of Dallas fans in Shreveport because it was only, you know, two and a half, three hours away. But just wanted to point that out, man, as you, as we talk about this kid with a, with a Pittsburgh Steelers shirt on, I know it has nothing to do with wrestling, but I'm betting that's the explanation for uh, his Steeler fandom. Well, we'll talk more about this brat in a little bit. Skandar Akbar and Hacksaw Duggan are watching, uh, not even from ringside, but kind of a little bit away, the first reveal that there's a boxing ring in the Irish McNeil Boys Club in the background. How about that, Mike? 
Yeah, I, I can always remember that. Like, I remember back in the day, people would say, uh, people that weren't familiar with Mid-South, they go, where do they shoot this thing? And I'm like, well, it's it's like a it's like a gym, I guess, kind of, because there's like a basketball court. And and yes, there is a boxing ring. And there's numerous times, actually, um, you don't see it often, but there's there's a bunch of times where you, you'll see that boxing ring in the background uh, as they shoot the TV. Because, I mean, the camera's shooting towards the bleachers, so you don't see it often. But, yeah, we got a nice shot there of the, of the boxing ring and where the uh, kids that worked out here here got to train and, and box and let out some aggression and hopefully it helped them be better men in life we've gotten more reveals of the behind the scenes of the irish McNeil boys club <laughs> this week on the show with the elbow ring segment and now this uh it is important to note this is the first time we've seen hacksaw duggan in several weeks since he came in as akbar's uh bounty hunter to go against dick murdoch so this is his return and he's with akbar here we're going to play a little bit of audio and then we'll talk about the finish of the match and they talk about the junkyard dog being in the spotlight. You know, a few weeks ago, he was on top of the wrestling world, assassin, but things have happened. His best friend, Ted DiBiase, you saw what happened, turned on him. And then the controversy that swirled in the championship for the Louisiana State title after he relinquished it when he won the North American title. He was in it there at Baton Rouge. We saw what happened. And even John Studd and the Super Destroyer came in from Atlanta to try to take the junkyard dog. So all he's got left is one half of the Mid-South Tag Team title, and they're after him everywhere. Well, just a little bit of audio, like I said there, Mike, just to hear Boyd Pierce during this match establish the fact that even though he's not the North American champion, everyone's gunning for the JYD. Yeah, I mean, he's your top baby face, so uh, it, it makes sense that everybody would be gunning for him, even if he's not the champion, because at the end of the day, well, if you take out the number one contender, that only means you move up another rung on the ladder. So, of course, it's about taking him out and making sure that, you know, you better position yourself. So, you know, that it makes a lot of sense. Uh, you played that that bit of audio there, but I'll say it again. We said it in the last match. There were pockets of this match again where there was literally no commentary, uh, where Assassin and Boyd just kind of shut down and don't say too much. Uh, I don't know. I, I can't even remember. And we've been talking about so many other things with this match, but the, the dog and Assassin do get the win. It was non-title the dog uh, in dog. olympia yeah i said assassin goodness gracious dog in olympia thank you for correcting me uh dog in olympia get the win it, it was non-title I, I believe research said that at the very beginning of yes. it so uh i enjoyed it the grappler was in it man and anytime you got a match with the grappler it's good also there was a really great hot tag when olympia finally got to the dog and the crowd stayed hot from that hot tag throughout the finish so this is a good uh, match at least the ending of it was really good and from there, we go to the return of Hacksaw Duggan, or as Reese Bowden calls him, Jim Hacksaw Duggan versus Vinny Romeo, another returning wrestler. Uh, and Rick Ferreira is the referee. We have a little bit of audio we're going to play in a second, but just a couple notes here. Hank, the man we commonly refer to as Hank, appears at ringside during this match, talks to the little girl and the old lady that are sitting next to him. I'm wondering, this is the first hour of the TV taping, Maybe Hank just got off work. Maybe there was traffic. Maybe that's why he wasn't in his usual front row seat for the beginning of this taping. I mean, that would be a more plausible explanation than one you'd think of today because we've seen Hank all the time smoking and now that you really can't smoke anywhere inside. So, you know, I would say if it was today, I'd say, oh, he probably was outside eating a hot dog and taking a smoke break. But heck, he smokes the whole entire event every week. So, um Probably so. He's probably getting off of work or just maybe he was sitting in traffic. Who knows what the situation is, but I do agree. Hank is back, and it's good to have him. Vinny Romeo is billed as being from Queens, New York. 
I have to say, as a New Yorker, something about being billed as being from Queens that really kind of <laughs> takes you down a notch. In my nothing against Queens, but unless you're a Greek who owns a diner, I'm not scared of you. If you're from Queens, you know. But Vinny Romeo's here, and he also during the match he does he tries to do a reverse crossbody, and he just falls right off the rope. Uh, that's embarrassing. Boyd Pierce on commentary talks about that Dick Murdoch's going to soon be finding out that Jim Duggan, the bounty hunter that was after him, has returned, as well as Ted DiBiase, his protege, and his recent activities. But let's play a little bit of audio here, Mike. We have the assassin talking a little bit about Jim Duggan, about his background, about his ties to Skandar Akbar. But I want you to listen very closely to this audio. I'm not saying it was scripted. I'm not saying that. However, if you're listening to the assassin here, tell me you're not hearing Bill Watts. Tell me these aren't Bill Watts' words. Let's go to this audio right now. Romeo coming back. He was here in the Mid-South area last year. Now he's making his return as a, a lot of fans in this area against the big man from New York City, the Rassin Hacksaw Jim Duggan, who was here a few weeks ago, assassin. He came as a bounty hunter to try to put Dick Murdoch out of action. He sure did, you know, and I just wonder. I see Skandor Akbar out there scouting this match, and he uh, and Hacksaw Duggan was out here earlier scouting the tag match, and I just wonder if there is any connection whatsoever between uh, Hacksaw Duggan and uh, Skandor Akbar. You know, Hacksaw Duggan, he's a very big man. He's six foot four, weighs 270 pounds, and he's a very, very well-conditioned athlete, and he has been an athlete all of his life. He's from New York, New York, and he was the New York State Amateur Wrestling Champion three years running in the heavyweight division. He has a fine, fine amateur background. He attended uh, Southern Methodist University. He was a nose guard uh, for SMU, and he, he was also a nose guard for the uh, Toronto Argonauts and also for the Atlanta Falcons. So he is certainly no uh, stranger to professional athletics, professional competition. And I think many people ask, well, why didn't he continue his professional football career? Why didn't he do this and so on? But the fact still remains that he has reverted back to his first love, and that's professional wrestling, and he is gaining, uh, rapidly gaining, I might add, a reputation for being a first-class bounty hunter. That may be a dubious reputation in the minds of some people, but still, the fact remains that he is a big, powerful man, and he can certainly back himself up in the ring. Mike, tell me that does not sound like Bill Watts' words. Take away the voice of the assassin right there, and that's Bill Watts' to a T everything he said when the, when he used the word dubious, I mean, I've heard Watts say that a million times, uh, the way he talks about the athletic uh, background of Duggan, I, that's exactly everything Bill Watts ever does. Whenever he's talking about like, you know, Dr. Death or whoever, like whenever they come in with athletic background, it's that's Bill Watts. I don't know if he was reading from a script, but I know Watts told him say it exactly like he said it. The one thing he definitely was reading was the accolades of Jim Duggan. You mean it's not allocates? It's not allocates. <laughs> Unless Lex Luger's on the show this week. No. <laughs> the <laughs> accolades of Jim Duggan, clearly he was reading those off a list. But it just it sounded like Bill Watts. It's Bill Watts is the assassin right there. Uh, Jim Duggan wins. How would you describe how he wins the match? He runs post to post with Romero and then he hits Romero with a backbreaker and then he wins, I guess is the best way to put it. He's got him. He's basically got him like he picks him up almost like a body slam. And then he's kind of got Romero with Romero's head 
um, and back in front of him, and then he runs post to post kind of, and then he hits him with the with the backbreaker. This is, I guess it's the best way to put it. Uh, I just call it going post to post with the guy ramming him into the corner. I, it is not really a call for it, but I don't know. Did that do it justice? Uh, probably not, but it's as good as we're going to be able to do this week here on the show. Going <laughs> from there, Mike, our next match, it's been brought up a few times that we've heard already this episode. The new Louisiana State champion, Killer Khan with Skandar Akbar against Buddy Landell, who we have not seen on TV in several weeks, Alfred Neely, the referee, and we get a little bit of audio here during the match from Boyd Pearson, the assassin, on Killer Khan's victory in the Louisiana title tournament, as well as some thoughts on Buddy Landell. Let's listen to this right now. Action continues now. Uh, you see General Skandar Akbar with his new Louisiana heavyweight champion by virtue of him having an next at coveted title in a tournament July the 6th in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Alfred Ely called for the bell. Khan's opponent, the popular and capable Buddy Landell. Assassin? You know, Buddy Landell looks like a matinee idol. Not a hair out of place, a very handsome face, very fine physique. But, you know, with all of his good looks and so on, the man does possess a tremendous amount of wrestling ability and wrestling skill, and he's got a lot of heart and a lot of determination. And he knows of Killer Khan's reputation. He knows that Killer Khan is a man that broke Andre the Giant's ankle and put him in the hospital. Yet this man goes in there and he carries it. He carried the attack right to Killer Khan. He's in trouble right now. But Khan is a big, vicious, aggressive individual himself. And I'm going to tell you, if Buddy Landell is going to stand a chance against Killer Khan, he better get on his bicycle and wait for Khan to make a m- mistake and capitalize on it instead of carrying the battle to Khan. Well, there we hear it, putting over Buddy Landell and his looks, the assassin here on commentary. And Killer Khan, the new Louisiana State Champion, won the title tournament. Bill Watts will have some thoughts about that next week on the show. That's really all I had for this match. Mike Killer Khan wins with his second rope knee drop. You have any other thoughts? Yeah, I'm Buddy put up a small fight, nothing much to write home about. I mean, he gets caught with his double chop in the throat, and then Khan slabs Buddy and drops the big knee from the second rope, and Khan defeats Buddy Landell. I will say this. Um, if you like Buddy Landell, don't worry. Buddy will do more in Mid-South. And actually, next week, I think Buddy has a yeah. damn good show. So uh, not to spoil things for you, but Buddy has a great show. And I say damn good, but a great show next week, in my opinion. So, yeah, we'll get we'll get more Buddy. And, um, you know, you and I are both Buddy fans. We like Buddy. So rest in peace, Buddy. From there, we get a match that we have seen at least three times already on Mid-South TV. The one-man gang with Skandar Akbar versus Coco Samoa. And Rick Ferreira is the referee. At one point, Coco Samoa does a drop kick to nowhere and just falls off the second rope. It's really weird. This is the third botch on this show. Usually you don't see this kind of thing in Mid-South Wrestling. Three times in one show. Usually it's only the referees that botch things on Mid-South TV or Larry Hacksaw Higgins. But um, other than that, one-man gang wins with an elbow drop. That's all I have there. Mike, you have anything? I can't add anything to it. I mean, at this point in the episode, we're getting to the point where, I mean, Assassin and Boyd, they just, there are pockets of time where they just don't talk about anything, and there's nothing much to add. I was about to say Assassin. One man gang wins, just like you said. In the final match on this show, with Alfred Neely as the referee, the hangman Rick Harris and Bob Roop go against Ernie the Big Cat Lad, and I'm going to try this, Buckley Christopher George Robley III. Was that it? That's it. All right, I get confused because the name Phil isn't in there, and that's his real name. But uh, Buck Roby and Ernie Ladd here, I mean, it's almost like a Mid-South Wrestling All-Star team when you see Robley and Ernie there. It's 1982, 
but it might as well be 1979 or 1980 when you see them there. You know, it's like kind of cool, like seeing like it's the end of an era. It's kind of this is kind of where the 80s begin with Mid-South Wrestling is the later part of 1982. And this is kind of the end of the era of the Robles and the Ernie Lads and these guys, even though Ernie would be around for a little while. But there's a really great finish to this match where they do a backdrop on the hangman Rick Harris and he goes down and then immediately Robley goes down and hits him with a loaded brace. And then right after that, Ernie comes down with a leg drop and it's a great finish. Even the crowd is into it. And that's the match. You have any notes? No, I same thing. It was great because Harris takes a really, really a nice looking backdrop. So you explained it very well, but it just the, the backdrop, it, it was what started it and it's what made it really look good. And then they, they timed it perfectly. I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't, I hate to use this term, but you couldn't quote unquote choreograph it any better, but it was, it looked really, really good the way they, the way they did that finish. So, and you're right, Ladden Buckley, Christopher George, Robley the third without Phil in his name one. And with that, we are done with another episode of mid South wrestling. But before we go on, Mike, a few notes here, uh, let's do some results because there's a lot of interesting things happening in Mid-South, and we'll do this again next week, too. The tournament that was talked about earlier, July 6, 1982, in Baton Rouge at the Riverside Centriplex. Here's the card. Mike Sharp defeated Vinny Romeo. The one-man gang beat Steve Dr. Death Williams. Ernie the Big Cat Lad defeated Hangman Rick Harris. The Assassin defeated Mr. Olympia. The Grappler defeated Buck Robley. The Junkyard Dog defeated Bob Roop. Killer Khan defeated Mike Sharp in the next round. Ernie Ladd beat the one-man gang. And the Junkyard Dog beat the Grappler. Going into the semifinals, Killer Khan defeated Ernie Ladd. And the Junkyard Dog defeated the Assassin. And then, of course, the finals, Killer Khan defeated the Junkyard Dog to win the Louisiana State title. And we'll have more about that next week on the show with Bill Watts on commentary. A few days later, July 10th, in Jackson, Mississippi, at the Fairgrounds Coliseum, the Junkyard Dog and Mr. Olympia defeated the Super Destroyer and John Studd. Andre the Giant, who's in the territory for a tour, defeated Killer Khan. Ted DiBiase defeated Iron Mike Sharp. Buck Robley defeated the Grappler. Bob Roop defeated Steve Williams. That's a match that we've heard built up on TV a few times recently. The One Man Gang and the Assassin defeated Jesse Barr and King Cobra. Vivian St. John defeated Judy Martin, and we'll see the women wrestlers on TV in two weeks. Jim Duggan defeated Mike Bond, and Paul Ellering defeated Billy the Star Child Star. And one more here, Mike. July 13th, 1982, in Baton Rouge at the Riverside Centriplex, Andre the Giant and the Junkyard Dog defeated the One Man Gang and Killer Khan. Ted DiBiase defeated Mr. Olympia. Ernie Ladd and Buck Robley defeated John Studd and the Super Destroyer. Steve Dr. Death Williams defeated Bob Roop. The Assassin beat King Cobra. Jesse Barr and Vivian St. John beat Hangman Rick Harris and Judy Martin in a mixed tag match. Paul Ellering beat Mike Bond. And Jim Duggan defeated Vinnie Romeo. So there's some activity in Mid-South around this period of time. You know, it's interesting about the Louisiana tournament that doesn't and i don't even think uh watts explains it next week so maybe you we should wait till then i'll just say this dog remember is in the tournament and 
if you recall, when he won the North American title, he wasn't going to be in the tournament because he had just ge- he was the one That's who right. gave up the Louisiana title. But he ended up in the tournament anyway. And I just wanted to make, make that point because someone some would ask, well, wait, how was Dog in there? Wasn't he not supposed to be in it? Well, they finagled away and there must have been a court injunction of some sort. And he got in the tournament. There you go. As we wrap things up, I want to remind you, you can follow me on Twitter at Great Brian Last. You can follow the 605 Super Podcast on Twitter at 605pod. And you can follow the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network on Twitter at Super Podcasts. You can also follow the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network on Facebook, facebook.com slash Arcadian Vanguard. And of course, you can hear me on the 605 Super Podcast at 605pod.com or available wherever it is that you find your favorite podcasts, classic wrestling talk, and wrestling humor, the 605 Super Podcast. Mike, how can the listeners stay in touch with you and booking the territory? Well, first, please come give us a listen. Try us out. Take us for a spin. Myself, Hard Body Harper, and Doc Turner on Booking the Territory twice per week. We are the unprofessional wrestling podcast because the jokes are not politically correct, but we love old school wrestling as we talk the NWA and Smoky Mountain Wrestling. You can find us at tinyurl.com slash bttpod or just search Booking the Territory wherever you get your podcast from. And then I'm on Twitter at Mike504Saints. Give me a follow. I post clips and different wrestling-related things, obviously, uh, some pertaining to this show, like this week. I posted earlier, uh, well, by the time this airs, it'd probably be about 10 days out, but I posted a pic of Reese Bowden's suit that Brian mentioned earlier in the episode and his his collar. I mean, if a draft came through, uh, poor old Boyd, um, Boyd, I said Reese, poor old Boyd suit, uh, he would he would take a flight. I mean, uh, a nice little strong draft and he would uh, he would lift off with the size of that collar. But anyway, uh, give me a follow on Twitter at Mike 504 Saints. And um, yeah, come listen to the show. We, we have a lot of fun, man. And we have a good time. And like I said, we love old school wrestling. And uh, it's a uh, it's two weeks or, or twice a week of uh, just funness, man. So that's all I got, Brian. The Mid-South Wrestling Television Review is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. For Mike Mills, I'm the great Brian Last. Tally-ho!